Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. Do you know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. You should need to get this tape. Hey, I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire? and go on, do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in the game's life out here in Texas, or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. It's your boy Jalen, one quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in on this lovely Saturday. How y'all doing today, fellas? Doing good, doing good, man. Checking in. This is your boy Kelly. Doing lovely on this great Saturday evening. How you doing over there, Jared? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy Jared, man. I can't complain, y'all. It's a good Saturday, man. Got me a new mic and stuff. I'm signing good and everything. Got my lights on. Look like an unlock character no more, man. It's up there. What's hey, up? Man, How this, we doing this, this Saturday? Let's get day, it. Bro. It does look good. We got some new equipment, man. We sounding good. Uh, we just trying to step up the podcast for our audience. We're really just trying to give y'all the best quality we can. So we heard your request for us to make sure our audio is good. But anyways, let's get straight into this episode, man. This is another great episode. We got a brother hailing out of Pennsylvania really first generation West African-American, our brother Saluma. How you doing, my brother? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's honestly an honor to be here. Hey, no problem, my brother. So we'll just jump right on into it, man. I'll explain to the audience uh, why we got you on here, man. For those of y'all who don't know, he actually created an app called Quick Mats. It's an iMessage game 
and it really just helps you with your math, addition, multiplication, division, subtraction. We ended up playing it yesterday. It was hella fun. So I just want to say, how did you get started? What was your journey to developing the app? Well, first off, I've always been into tech. Like it's something that's been a passion of mine ever since I was a teenager. I was really interested in it around late middle school. You know, I was looking into, at the time, it was a very exciting time in tech. The iPhone was starting to become uh, more mainstream. It was still somewhat of a novelty, but it was starting to grow in popularity, as well as the fact that there was a lot of new exciting things coming out, given that it was the cross of a new decade. So during that period, I was just really interested in tech, just seeing what's going on. Um, I remember I used to sketch designs of products that I wanted to make in the future and whatnot, but I didn't really start getting into the code side until about two or three years later. When I was in high school, I actually built a web browser called Sulu Browser. It allowed people to go on the net. It was kind of like Google Chrome and Internet Explorer. A lot of people to browse the web. It was something really basic, but it was something that I had a lot of fun with developing. And really from there, I just started slowly but surely learning a little more about code and product development and whatnot. And that's pretty much what led to QuickMass. That's the culmination of everything that I've been doing for almost 10 years. Hey, man, that's dope. Look like you got something to say, Jared. Yeah, now I got a question. So like what out of like with your app development and everything, what made you go, you know, the direction with like addition, multiplication, like would it be in a math-based problem like app? Yeah. So I got a funny story about that. So I was browsing Twitter one day, just messing around and whatnot. And I see a viral tweet on times tables and someone quotes it and they say, hey, this should be an iMessage game. And this was actually a year ago. And I look at it, I'm like, I'd be surprised if there isn't an iMessage game that doesn't incorporate math. So I go on the app store, I take a look at all the apps that are there. And there weren't, not only were there many math games, but the ones that were there were not of quality. Excuse my language, or I don't want to come off as cocky, but they were kind of trash. So I was just like, you know what, this is something that I can make a whole lot better, a whole lot more fun. And, you know, I was actually in Africa at the time too. I was on a month long vacation. So then from there, I just straight up started studying the iMessage platform, seeing how it works. And, you know, I just slowly but surely began to build what is known as QuickMass. So how did that process look as far as studying the iMessage platform and how to design and code in that iMessage platform? Yeah, sure. So the iMessage platform, it incorporates a programming language called Swift. As Swift has been used for about five years, actually six now, it came out in 2014. And that's a language I have familiarity with. Like I've coded other projects and whatnot. And Apple, one of the cool things is that they offer documentation on different tools that they offer to developers. And one of those tools was the iMessage kit. And I went there and I was reading all the stuff about how they incorporate iMessage, how to use it, and also using my existing knowledge of Swift and design and whatnot. And slowly but surely, I began to get it and understand it and build on top of that. And I kind of want to go back a little bit further, my brother, like even as far as you just taking your first steps into coding, because mm -hmm. I know like in our community, we're starting to get more coders and stuff like that, but still I don't see enough of us in tech. Right. So how did you get into coding? What was your first really just like taste at that? So again, I've been very interested in tech. Like I always wanted to make products. And as I started to research and look deep into it, I came to the realization that, you know, code is one of those things that allows people to build products, more specifically software products. And I figured, you know, if I can learn even a basic amount of code, 
I could use that knowledge to build products. And I'm kind of fortunate in that I came from a fairly upper class area in a majority white area. So I was exposed to a lot of things that people that look like me wouldn't be able to. So that made my path a little bit easier. And, you know, I just started slowly but surely getting into coding and getting a little bit better. Um, I'd be lying if I said I'm still a great developer now, but, you know, it is something that I was slowly but surely getting better at. So I have a question with that. Like with that said, did you have to have like a whole team around you to create quick math? So like, was that, you know, mostly you? It was all me. That was all you? No one helped me out. I did all the design, all the back end coding, all the front end. I did. That was all me. See, that's dope. Yeah. (laughs) How long did it take you to do that? So I was studying like summer of last year, I was studying the iMessage platform. And I was working on it here and there. Like I was more focused on options trading at the time. So it was something I'd, you know, work on it for about 30 minutes and then I'd go back to doing something else. But then earlier this year, I was like, you know what, let's just run through it and let's finish it. So if you were to combine the amount of time that I put into the project, it would have been about a month. So. Okay. So about a month and all of this was just self-taught. You didn't go to like no classes or nothing like that. I did buy a, when I was getting some confusion with the iMessage platform, I did buy a course in Udemy on how to develop for iMessage. And, you know, I skimmed through that a little bit and just to gain more knowledge. But aside from that, I didn't go to any formal class or whatnot in order to build quick mass. Hey, that's dope, man. That's really dope. So if there's like someone who's up and coming and they want to get into tech, where would you point them to say, okay, this is where you should first go to at least start educating yourself or at least starting to learn the language so you can be familiar with what they're talking about? Sure. So Twitter is a phenomenal resource for tech. There's a lot of great people out there that if you just simply follow them, uh, you'll gain understanding of what's going on within the industry right now. Because right now, it's an incredibly exciting time. A lot of foundations that are being built now are going to set the next 25, 30 years. So if you just simply do the task of following these people, you're going to be in good shape. In addition to that, I would recommend also uh, looking into the Swift language, the iOS language. It's very simple to learn. Back in the day, like let's say 10, 15 years ago, programming language were a little more complicated. The grammar or the syntax of them, it's one of those things that used to scare people. But Mm -hmm. nowadays, programming language have gotten significantly easier with Swift and Kotlin and all these different languages. So I'd highly recommend if someone's looking to get into software development in particular to look into that. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Can you shout out some of those people that they might want to follow? Is there maybe like a hashtag they can follow or anything like that? I mean, Black Tech Twitter is a good one. 100 Days of Code is also a good hashtag. But specific people are mainly guys within the industry. So guys like if you at Jason is a good one. I know uh, Naval, at Naval, at Paul Graham. I don't know if it's at Paul. I think it's Paul G. But these are some of the guys that deep within the industry and invested in companies like Facebook and, you know, Uber and whatnot. So following those guys, you gain a good idea of what's going on in the industry. And you for yourself can decide what lane you want to pursue, if that makes sense. Okay. So I was just going to ask a quick question. So for the people out there that are like thinking about it, you know, might be interested in it. I wanted to ask about the monetization from like potentially an independent side, as well as like being able to go into a nine to five with these types of skills. Like what does that look like? Or are you very familiar with that? 
Uh, for sure. So I, I don't have any formal coding job at the moment. Ever since QuickMass blew up, I have been given offers to come work for them as an iOS developer. And, you know, me personally, the monetization side, I kind of wanted to keep QuickMass independent. Like I didn't want it to clash with other companies or what they were trying to do. And the monetization side, it's not very difficult, to be honest with you. The way ads are delivered through the app is through Google. They have a platform called AdMob. So if you integrate that within your apps, you can bring in some residual revenue very easily. Another thing is also I recently added an in-app purchase. So what that allows uh, users to do is to pay a dollar to simply remove ads. So that's on from the Apple side too. So I'm getting checks from both Apple and Google from that. So if you can create something of value that people want to come back to and use and you decide to monetize it, you can definitely make money, no problem. So from the Google side, is it just like they pay you by the number of views or the number of users using it? How is that? How is the pay-per-click or how is it? So they have something called an eCPM, right? Consumers uh, per minute, I believe it is. And it's based on the number of impressions and the number of ad clicks that you get. So if you get enough ad clicks on, you know, whatever advertisement that you're showing or enough impressions, that equates to about, I think it's a cent. So that can all add up slowly but surely. And it is definitely paying off very nicely on the monetization side. Hey, man, I love to hear it. (laughs) About how long did it take you once you had it, you know, ready? I got the finished product. How long did it take you for you to get it into the app store? What was that process like? Did you have to go through a few uh, loops and hurdles and everything like that? Yeah. So Apple actually has, they have a vetting process for apps. So you upload it to them. They have some testers on standby and they'll take a look at what your app does, whether it has some game breaking bugs or whatever. It used to be a lot slower. It used to be, if you uploaded it, it would take about a week for them to either approve it or deny it. Nowadays it's significantly faster. It's about at maximum 48 hours. So when I uploaded the app and, you know, Apple reviewed it within a day and they're like, it's all good to go. And I released it. I think it was February. I released it for people to use. So, you know, now you got it in the store. What did it look like whenever you got in the store now? How did you market it? Did you just take off to Twitter and be like, hey, y'all created this dope app. Y'all should check it out. Right. So when it first launched, it received lukewarm success in that I did go on Twitter. I was like, hey, I got this cool app. Go check it out. And the people who decided to download it, they actually loved it. It was especially on the Blackwell side of Twitter. You know, shout out B, shout out Stun and them. You know, they were doing their best to push the game. And it gained about, within a week, it was about 1,000 downloads, which to me at the time felt like a lot. So then as time went on, the downloads started to slow. I was getting maybe tens of downloads a day. Then a month ago, someone decided to make a, every now and then you guys know Twitter, they like to redo tweets and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So someone posted that times table again. And then another person quoted it by saying, hey, we want this to be an iMessage game. But I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. I made this like earlier this year. So I quoted it and that tweet ended up going viral. And within that tweet going viral, within 48 hours, I gained about 40,000 downloads. Damn. And currently it is sitting at about 120,000 downloads right now. So it just blew up out of nowhere because I was getting ready to, you know, close out that, like kind of work on other things and, you know, not focus much on that app anymore. And then as soon as that happened, I'm like, all right, look, I need to get back to developing updates and whatnot. Hey, and that's dope. And that's really cool because it speaks to, you know, like you say, you was about to just give up, wrap it up, mm-hmm. but you got that little glimpse of hope, that little glimpse of light. And now you back at it. 
And now you're doing hit over 100K in downloads. Yeah, it's insane. In fact, that spike in downloads, it actually got the attention of Apple. And they contacted me and they say, hey, look, we want to actually feature this game on the App Store. And now when you go on the iMessage App Store, that's the first thing you see. You know, shout out to Nate. I think he's not on Twitter anymore, but shout out to Nate. He helped me with the design for that feature. But now because of that, I'm averaging about 2,000 downloads a day, which is really insane. Man, I love to see a black man get paid. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so for those who want to learn exactly from step-by-step process, can you give a list of, a simple list of steps um, from beginning to end on how to release an app? For sure. First, I mean, I'm going to quote Steve Jobs on this. Uh, one of the things he says is that a lot of people think that an idea is 90% of the work and then all they got to do for the 10% is just make that idea happen and then put it out there. With my experience of product development, that's not the case, you know, because as you start working on an idea, you come to the realization that there are certain possibilities and there are certain things that you can and cannot do. And you start experimenting with something that you initially thought was a good idea, but it isn't. So after you come up with the idea and you start working on the app itself, I would highly recommend constantly testing, constantly asking people around you, hey, is this a good feature or a good idea? Does this work? Does this not work? And you yourself have to gauge whether something is of quality or not. Because at the end of the day, you are the person that has to be satisfied with whatever you put out there. So really it's idea, then a whole process, which takes up about 80% of the work. And then finally, another 10% being putting it out there and marketing and connecting with people to push the app out there. I just want to say like real quick, I think it's so dope that like, as far as the software side and the development side, y'all can do so much of it yourselves. Like You didn't need a team. You didn't have to have like any special, you know, stuff set up. It was just, okay, cool. I got this knowledge and I can do this for myself. I can basically create an asset out of my brain. Right, right. I mean, the thing with app development is that, again, it kind of democratized making software because say 25, 30 years ago, you would have needed a whole team to make something like that or to make some sort Mm. of app. But nowadays with, you know, the languages that are out there and the tool sets that are out there, you pretty much have the power of a whole team on your own. So when people are constantly coming up with app ideas and like, oh, I need to hire a developer or I need to get a whole bunch of designers and whatnot, you don't need to do that. Like you could do it yourself if you really wanted to. You know, it's gotten a lot easier than it used to. And from what I see, it is only going to get easier, which is why it's important that our people actually get into this right away because it's imperative because it's gotten so much easier. The barrier of entry is really low now. It's a great time to get into tech. And I'm I'm glad that you brought up the point of people testing certain ideas mm-hmm. because a lot of times, like you said, we'll create this thing and we might think is the best idea in the world, right. but it's not solving a problem for anyone or it's not useful for anyone. Right. So with your app, did you go through that process or did you, you already kind of knew because you went from the Twitter market, that market research on Twitter of people wanting that times table type app. Right. So again, I took a look at some of the apps that were on the app store. Cause again, there were math games on there and I was wondering why didn't they blow up? Why weren't they popular? And it came down to the simple, it's a very simple reason. They weren't fun. Like they weren't fun. They weren't appealing to look at the interface was clunky. And I was like, you know what? I, this is something that again, I could make a whole lot better when I'm making a product. One of the things that I really put at the forefront is the user experience. I want the user to have a good time and I don't want them to, you know, feel that something is not of quality or there's a lot of bugs and crashes and whatnot. 
So I spend a lot of like almost an obsessive amount of time on the experience, on the interface, making sure everything looks nice. The animations are good. And also within the game itself, when I first made it, it was just like, all right, let's just make this times table game and have a time basic timer and see how it works. I made that and I saw the game was a little too easy. So I was like, people have all the time in the world to solve a problem. So of course they're going to be able to get it eventually. So I was like, what if I add a timer to the problem itself? So that was something that I added and it changed the whole game dynamic where it made it. Now people are rushing to try to get problems correct. Like even some of the most basic problems, you know, people get struggling because of that problem timer. It stresses them out a little bit. Hey, no, that's a fact, bro. Like I started playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> what's that thing mixed up, man? You <laughs> go yeah, you'll be like, what's two plus two? And then you got like three seconds to solve it. It's like, oh my God, I forget. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt I just, so stupid. Oh, yeah. No, I felt like I completely embarrassed my third and fourth grade teachers. All the people that had me doing those timetables in class, like, I felt so bad. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that challenge element is what added to the fun of it. So, again, that goes back to process. You know, if I just decided to come up with the idea and just do it as exactly as I envisioned it and put it out there, there's no way people would have found it as fun as it is now. But it took that process and experimentation to figure out, hey, you know, I need to add these different things to make it more engaging, to make it more fun. So, which is why I don't recommend going straight from idea straight to product, if that makes sense. That's a good tip. I got a question. That's fine. I want to know what's next for the app development purposes. Like, what are you going to do next um, as far as another app, or is it just that one app? It is definitely not just that one app. I have a lot of things that are significant. Like, the thing about QuickMass is that it surprised me that it blew up the way it did, because for me, it wasn't very complicated to make, right? Whereas I have a lot of projects in the pipeline that are, you know, significantly more complicated that I'm definitely going to put out there eventually. Um, You know, I got some stuff working in social, augmented reality. You know, there's a lot of different things that I'm going to put out there. If I could suggest something, and I think it'd be really cool to have an app that where you can just go and really learn the coding side of developing an app. Like an app. yeah. Yeah, I think that would be really cool for people to learn about. For sure. Um, actually, let me plug in a website that I really enjoy. It's Code Academy. So if you go on CodeAcademy.com, first they ask you, what do you want to do? Like, what's your lane? Do you want to do web development? Do you want to make apps? And they'll give you a set of lessons that you can do like every day in order to become a better coder, in order to make uh, whatever you're trying to make. You know, there's a ton of resources out there that are helping people to code. Like even, you know, kids in elementary school are starting to learn how to code. The so it's, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's why I'm saying like our people really need to get on this train because there's a lot going on in tech, a lot more advanced technologies that are being made. So if we can actually get on board and take advantage of these resources that are out there, we will actually have a say in what's going to happen with the technology that's going to shape our future. Mm. And I'm kind of glad that you touched on that, like this future wave, because uh, I remember when we first got started, we kind of talked about this, like some of the tech that's coming out in the future but we really didn't get a chance to really dive deep into it. Like with AI and some of the other things that'll be hitting the market uh, in these next few years, I want you just to like, let our people know, like just because AI and automation is coming, that don't mean that we're going to be left out of the picture. If you know how to code, because these things, they're going to break. They're going to have things that goes wrong with them. You just need to know how to be the engineer to fix it. Exactly. Right. And I think that it's actually very important that we get into machine learning and artificial intelligence 
because when you're building these artificial intelligence models, there is room for bias, right? So I don't know if you've been seeing recently, like a lot of cameras can detect a black person walking and they'll automatically assume, oh, he might be a threat or whatnot. And that's due to the model. Wait, what? Yes, that's due to the model because they might be walking a certain type of way or whatever and the camera will detect and it's like, this guy might be a threat or whatever. So there's like, it's little things like that. In fact, uh, there was something went viral on Twitter recently where they'd post a picture of, you know, a white politician and a black politician, mainly Mitch McConnell and Barack Obama, right? Mm-hmm. And this guy's like, let me see what Twitter does. And Twitter, when you post a picture, it automatically focuses on the face of whoever, right? And when they posted both pictures of Obama being on the very top and Mitch McConnell being on the very bottom and then vice versa for the other picture, Mitch McConnell showed up on both. So it's those level of biases, you know, that's mainly because they may not have many people of diversity in those companies to say, hey, look, let's fix this model. Let's make sure that it doesn't do something like that. Mm. So that's why, again, it's incredibly important that we get into that to prevent these biases from the systems that are going to run our future. Because if we're not in there, it can pose a real big danger over the long haul. That's crazy. I didn't even know that they had cameras like this, this. Oh, man, the way he's walking, he's a threat. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not as mainstream, but it is something that companies are working on and whatnot, mainly because security is a big thing in this country ever since 9-11 and whatnot. So companies are constantly trying to up the security of cameras and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, terrorism threats and whatnot. So again, it's important that we get in there to prevent those biases from being there. I had actually seen something similar to that. They were talking about it with uh, TikTok. I think it was, they were talking about how the content creators, how some of the like content creators that weren't black were ending up like taking their stuff and like being able to get higher rankings and get more popular with it because of the fact like the algorithm, it was something with the algorithm that was having that bias where it was choosing like black faces versus like other faces and like ranking them lower. Right. Yeah. I mean, TikTok has a whole set of problems, but within the algorithm, it actually came out that they would discriminate against not only people of color, but also disabled people and people who Mm. are deemed conventionally attractive. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. I ain't know that part now. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that either. That's crazy. So, you know, though, again, this is what's shaping our future. This is what people are using all the time. So the fact that these biases find their way into products that people use every day, it ends up, you know, subconsciously affecting people, whether they know it or not. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. So it's important that we get people of diversity to say, hey, look, you know, this is an error that's happening within our algorithm. Let's find a way to fix it. I do know that from a computational standpoint, you know, people of color is a little harder to detect and to read and whatnot, just not because of racism or whatnot, just because of the tech. It's easier to read white faces than black faces. But at the same time, though, I think that the companies could do a whole lot better than what they're doing right now. Did you watch that movie on Netflix, The Social Dilemma? I watched a part of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. I ended up watching the whole thing and that shit like blew my mind, bro. I was just like, wow. But that was one of the things that I noticed too, like just throughout the movie, I was like, where's the people of like ethnic background? I don't see any of us. Exactly. 
they're talking about, oh yeah, man, we fucked up. We built these machines, so now they're targeting us. And they were right, talking right. about how they created it, and they ended up getting addicted to some of the apps that they made. Right. I mean, that all comes down to design. There's something called a dark pattern design in when you're developing a product on the software side, where you implement these little behaviors that you know people may or may not know that they're engaging in that are ultimately negative, right? So with Facebook and Instagram and whatnot, um, a lot of those behaviors, they've been building for years. Like we've been getting into these negative behaviors and whatnot to the point where it culminated to the toxic environment that is now known as Twitter or that is now known as social media in general. So now it comes down to how do you fix it, right? Because a lot of these companies, they don't necessarily want to take drastic measures, mainly because they do know that it'll cut their revenue line. But at the same time, you know, society as a whole is delving deeper into, you know, it's just getting worse overall, partly because of social media. So it's absolutely, I think that there's going to have to be some sort of solution, whether it's another company or another product or the company or the government has to force these companies' hands into actually doing something. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know, like you said, what it's going to come down to, maybe government regulation, but something where we really just protect because my whole thing is I'm worried about like the kids that I see that are growing up on these phones. Like you said, they've developed these things over these years, but we at least know a life without these phones. We know what it was like prior to this. A lot of these kids that's growing up, they don't know that. A lot of them, their parents are giving them these phones as pacifiers to make them shut up. And they don't realize what they're doing on these phones. Exactly. I'm actually going to refer to a lot of the tech company heads like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and whatnot. They actually didn't let some of their kids use their products. I didn't know if you guys knew that. For example, when the iPad came out, some interviewer asked Steve Jobs, hey, how's your kids enjoying these things? He's like, oh, I don't, we don't allow that level of technology in our house. Wow. I did know that it was like one of the CEOs or one type of exec over at YouTube. It's just like, yeah, I don't let my kids on YouTube. I don't let them on YouTube. Kids, none of that. Yeah, like just just giving, like I see it all the time. Like parents will be walking their kids around. The kid will be doing whatever on the iPad or whatnot. And, you know, that's just not a healthy way for at least me personally, from what I see. It's not a healthy way to start a child's development. You know, you got to slowly build them into technology. But like you said, these kids, they grow up on that. This is what they know. I can also say that with these social media platforms and whatnot, it's actually been proven to have negative mental, I'm sure you saw it on the social dilemma, uh, negative mental effects on young children and young teens, because they're seeing all these people who are conventionally attractive and people who are doing, you know, they're going on yachts and, you know, they're doing all these amazing things. And they're like, why am I not doing that? You know? And to an extent, it affects adults, too, because they'll see people flexing on Instagram and think that, oh, man, this person's having the time of their life when in actuality, it's just a snapshot. You know, us who grew up before that era know that, you know, Instagram and social media is just made to capture snapshots, not capture your whole life. But these kids, a lot of them don't know that. And they're starting to grow up with, you know, insecurity issues and, you know, they start doubting themselves and whatnot, which is incredibly unfortunate. Yeah, I seen on uh, social media the other day about somebody took a shopping center, well, it's like a shopping center, and then they took out all the furniture and stuff out of it and made a place where you could go and take pictures like you're on a private jet, like you're on the beach, just a place where you can just go take pictures like you're acting like you're in these places. 
Yeah, I mean, me personally, I find Instagram to be one of the fakest social media platforms out there because it's all about flexing. It's all about, you know, capturing the best possible snapshots of your life. And to me personally, I think that that system is not sustainable for multiple reasons. One being that we're consuming content a lot faster, right? But the production of content on Instagram is slow because you're taking the time to make it, you know, you're filterizing it. You're trying to find a good caption. You're trying to find the best pictures and videos. But with 5G coming, you know, everything is going to be so much more instantaneous. And the content, not only the content production is going to have to be faster, but people are just going to look at content a lot faster as well. And Instagram is just overall slow at that. So I don't know if it's going to survive once 5G comes along, which is a very bold prediction to say, but I'm already seeing a lot of hate and whatnot coming towards Instagram and that type of social media. That's interesting. That's very interesting. And um, with 5G, what's your thoughts on 5G? I know right now there's like a lot of negative connotation towards 5G and everything like that. What's your thoughts and what do you actually know about the facts about 5G? Well, I do know that it's not going to give you cancer or Corona. Like I do know that for a fact. (laughs) But what I also know that it is leagues faster than what we have as internet. Like think of the fastest internet you've ever used and multiply that by five. Like, you can download a Blu-ray movie in less than a minute. Huh? Like, like, damn. <laughs> Red so, Dead Redemption would have been done quick. Right, right. So that level of speed is going to change a lot. And it's going to provide a lot of benefits for things like self-driving cars, for example, which one of the proposals is to have the self-driving cars communicate with one another. So having that level of speed will make that a lot faster, especially with driving, where a split-second decision can be life or death, mm. you know? Man, you're talking on something I'm... I want to get into that after you're done with this. Right. So with 5G, it's just going to change everything as we know. It's hard for me to predict exactly how it's going to go about in doing that. But I can say that that level of speed, it's something we haven't seen before. And it's just if the right developers get into it and utilize it the right way, it can provide a huge net benefit for society. And I totally agree. And with that self-driving car thing, I used to be a car salesman. And I remember whenever I first got started, it was like two years ago. And they were talking about some of the things that was coming down the pipeline. One of the things was the cars speaking to each other and like the whole way that the 5G network works. If you're not familiar with how 5G works is 5G, instead of using a lot of big towers that transmit huge wavelengths across, you're using more smaller towers. It's kind of like a micro mesh network, correct? Mm -hmm. So you're using a whole bunch of smaller towers in closer ranges so it can translate at a faster speed but with that like he said they're talking about cars communicating with each other and another thing is it'll be able to communicate with the red lights it'll also be able to communicate with like he said if a car in front of you is slowing down your car will be able to say okay this car in front of me is slowing down too or there's some congestion coming up ahead we might take an alternate route or we might, we're going to have to start slowing down. And whenever they were telling me some of these things, I was just like, man, that's crazy. I never thought like some of these things would be happening, but just to hear you say, and I, I know even with like Elon Musk and Tesla, just some of the things that he's doing with that company is leaps and bounds. Crazy. Right. Yeah, it is insane. And again, this is part of the foundation that's being built. Like self-driving cars aren't here yet, but there certainly are being built. You know, AI and machine learning models, you know, a lot of them aren't 
as mainstream, but they are being built. And unfortunately, like I was saying earlier, there's not a lot of people of color or black folks in that. And we're not being a part of that foundation building. Fortunately, I believe that there's time. You know, there's time for a lot of us to, whether it's to go to school or to teach ourselves or whatever the case may be, to do that in order to play that role in that foundation. Because these self-driving cars, you know, I don't know if you guys heard of the Internet of Things. That's where like the things in your home communicate with one another. You know, all these things are going to set the foundation for the next quarter decade. So it's important that we get into that. It's as fa- I keep saying it, but I can't stress how important it is. You know, you said something too with that, that I really want like people to understand, like with the education level, mm-hmm. as far as the coding and getting into development jobs, just in general, like you can go to a coding camp, do something like what you said, where you can build a project, make like a quick mass or make, you know, I don't want y'all to steal my boy idea, but make something different. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then from there, you can use that portfolio to get you a job. You don't have to go and get a four-year degree or like a special certification or something like that. You can use that tech literal information and then the like your proof of concept or your proof of being able to do it and then go get you a job. There's yeah. not many industries where you can do that and get like a good job. You know what I'm saying? A good well-paying exactly right. job. Yes. It's not uncommon <laughs> to hear somebody who doesn't have a college degree in tech making six figures. You know, like there are people out there, they just get the certifications or you know, they train themselves, they build projects in a portfolio, like you said, and they'll give it to companies and, you know, companies say, hey, look, we like what you're doing. We'll take you. And like you said, there's not a lot of fields that you can do that, which is why the barrier, that's why I was saying the barrier of entry is the lowest it's ever been. Like anyone could really get into it if they decided to put in the time and the effort. I knew, I do know that there is a bit of a learning curve because when people see code for the first time, you start getting scared. It's just like, oh, this is a foreign language to me. But it's like a language, like most people studied Spanish in high school. Most people studied, you know, some sort of secondary language. It's kind of like that, you know, you build slowly, but surely, like whether you have to take, you know, buy a book or, you know, take a supplemental class, whatever the case may be, but it's not as difficult as it used to be. Like, I promise you that. And I think that window is like closing for that opportunity to where it's like sooner or later, you know, maybe five, 10 years from now, Google or Apple or somebody's going to come out with a certification that like, you got to go through this to be, you know, certified or whatever as a good coder. Now is the time to hop in, like while you can still do it independently and all the rest of that. Absolutely. I mean, it's unfortunate what's happening with COVID, but one of the great things is that it's given people time, right? So a lot of people are, you know, locked up in their home, you know, with not much to do. So why not, you know, learn a programming language, you know, why not, you know, take a short little class, like a lot of these classes are not very long, sometimes they're, you know, three, four months. And from that, you can either take more classes to develop your knowledge, or you can start building something with what you gained. It's not as difficult as it used to be. Hey, and even with Google, a few months ago, they released some type of class, actually, right? Man, I forgot the article, but it's like a class that was geared to getting people who not who don't have a college degree, but they can still come and work at Google through taking some type of class that they're offering. And like, it's kind of like what Jared's saying with this certification. And I was just like, I see that being disruptive for campuses in the future. If more companies start saying, hey, you don't need to go to school. Just come over here, learn at our institute and we can show you. Exactly right. I did see something about that. You know, a lot of companies, you know, again, with COVID, there's a lot of changes happening, one of which is remote work, right? So 
a lot of stuff happening within the tech workspace. It doesn't necessarily, you don't have to have a college degree. Again, you could do everything remotely now. You know, you can study, once you've studied and went through your certifications and whatnot, you can get a job at Google, but still stay in whatever state you're at. You don't have to go to the headquarters anymore. You know, a lot of different companies, I know Spotify is switching to remote learning or not remote learning, uh, remote working as well as I think Facebook's a part of it. Like so many of these tech companies are now making the switch, which should have happened earlier in my opinion. But, you know, it is something that, again, anyone could do. The barrier of entry is low. Now's the time to get in. And one last thing on that education part. <laughs> yeah, they understand you don't know coding. So like if you're oh, yeah. intimidated and like you're thinking about going on, like I mess with Code Academy, like I was happy you referred to that earlier. I tried it for like a month or two. I realized that coding wasn't for me, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same time like I did understand the basics like it walked me through it from beginning to end I went from somebody that didn't know anything to being able to now I could probably pull up a web page and kind of understand the structure would I be able to remake it no but like (laughs) walking me through that you know what I mean right and it wasn't hard exactly like I mean it's simpler than ever before so you know there's so many resources out there I can't you can go on YouTube (laughs) University and you can pull up something you know, that's more your speed. Like you can find different learning styles. Like you, you don't have to stick to just Code Academy or you don't have to stick to just one YouTuber. You can find, you know, an instructor that fits your learning style and then build on top of that. There's so many resources out there and people want you to learn how to code because there's a huge demand out there for software developers and programmers in general. So if you build that skill set, you're almost guaranteed to find a job. And I cannot say that about many fields. Just look at it as the trades of the future. Right. Facts. Because it's like a vacuum right now. Like everybody trying to teach people. Like you said, when you were talking earlier with Swift, like they were trying to teach people, put the manual out there to help folks, more people use Swift because they want people to use it. Exactly. They put out the documentation. They even have uh, something called Swift Playgrounds, which was, uh, it was kind of something where you can, it was mainly for kids, but like anyone can use it to learn how to build on Swift. And, you know, as time goes on, you get introduced to more advanced concepts and whatnot. So, again, these companies, they want you to learn how to code. It benefits them uh, as well as it benefits you. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Most definitely. So I kind of want to take a pivot from the coding and just the tech side. And I kind of want to go to your upbringing, being a first generation West African. So what was that like? Did you, you were born in the States or... Did y'all move from West Africa? And I was born in the States. I was born in uh, State College, Pennsylvania. My dad at the time, he was a graduate student. My mom was an undergrad. And my mom ended up leaving school to take care of me. And, you know, 
it was pretty humble beginnings in that I'm very fortunate and I, I was able to see my dad like the move classes, the class mobility. We went from, you know, being lower middle class to being middle class. And now we're currently upper middle class, you know, and just seeing everything that he had to go through. But in regards to my personal upbringing as a kid, it was interesting because I went to school. I started school in a variety of different places, right? So I started school in the Bronx. Then my dad left to do some research and study in Africa for a little bit. So I went to school there for a couple of years. Then I came back to the States. And then I, went, I was in, back in State College, which is mostly a suburb. And then we moved finally to Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, which I'm currently at. So most of my life has been around white folk, you know, and around upper middle class people. So as a first generation African-American, it becomes tough because for one, you're trying to figure your identity out. You're trying to figure out yourself out, but there's not many people around you like you, you know? The benefit of it though, is that, you know, I'm not sure if I were not in this environment that I would have been introduced to tech, you know? Cause again, there's so many different, like there's so many different opportunities that were available to me that many that look like me don't have. So I guess that's a benefit of that. And being that you were exposed to some of these different things, were you exposed to money as a different way? Did you look at the way money worked differently? Yeah, I did look at money a little bit differently. You know, I didn't see it as, you know, something to just simply take and spend, but rather, you know, it's a tool, you know, it's something that you can reinvest, you can build with it. So that's something that I learned at a really young age because I, like I said, I always wanted to build my own products and whatnot. So that included not only learning how to code, but also being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So as I started to learn and get into that, you start viewing money less as something to, you know, simply use to live, but rather not only do that, but also use it as a tool to set yourself off better in the future as well as future generations. And you know what, that's really important. And I wanted to bring that up because... It's just so crazy how even you just as a black man, but you're in this different environment and you're exposed to so many other things that if you were probably more so around our community, you wouldn't have been exposed to those things because a lot of times it just feels like that information just skips us or it's like it's just not really given to our communities because, you know, it's a control mechanism. Um, if you keep the class lower, you have someone to work, you have someone cheap labor, things like that. So I just wanted to talk about that because that was just so important. And I, pretty, I was pretty sure that your relationship with money growing up was different than what mine was, because I'm going to be honest, my relationship with money was totally different. I just saw people using money to get by, buy shoes, do this, have a good time. Exactly right. But, you know, you guys are one of the things I really like about your podcast is the importance in building black wealth, right? Because I think that if we get more people like us to build wealth, ultimately, it'll benefit our community, because we're going to reinvest it, no question. So I think that viewing money as a tool is actually imperative in that goal. You know, instead of viewing it as something to get by or spend or, you know, try to look nice or whatever, try to save some, you know, I know a lot of people come on this podcast and they say, you know, save some cash, but honestly, save some cash because <laughs> uh, it's something that your future self will thank yourself for it. Yeah. Most deaf. And uh, speaking of saving, 
I heard you talk about options too. What type of investing are you into, my brother? Yes, I'm part of a Discord group. I can't disclose the name because they want to be secretive at the moment. But, it's all good. But we use uh, different algorithms that have been trained across 10 to 20 years in order to figure out different plays and whatnot. And it's something that the algorithms, they are incredibly, not only are they incredibly accurate, but it also depends entirely on position sizing, you know, how much you're willing to invest of your net liquid. So rather than putting, you know, all your cash in this one play, thinking it's going to make you a millionaire, you're like, all right, I'm going to put, you know, 2% in this options play. I'm going to put 5% in this options play. And the maximum limit that I set for myself is 20%. You know, I don't touch the other 80% of my net liquid. And slowly but surely you begin to see, you know, a large amount of returns. You know, within a year, you can get, at least from the system that we're using, you can get 50 to 60% returns like nothing. God damn. Yeah. You said so, it's the algorithm? Yeah, they, he, it's an algorithm. The dude who's in charge of that Discord is incredibly smart. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, we've been using that, and it's fun. So every now and then, it is an emotional roller coaster, but it is fun overall. Most definitely. Jared, Kelly, y'all got anything else, my brothers? Nah, that was it for me. I think I asked all the questions I had to ask. That was a lot of good information. I'm yeah, just really man. happy you came on and shared that with all the audience and everything. And I really hope somebody out there just takes what you said and takes action on it, like really listens to it and, you know, understands. Because I wish I had understood that same thing, like coming up or understanding like about tech and like about the different opportunities that were going to be available in tech and all the different ways that you can flip it. Because like you can take that information and you can learn how to code. You can learn how to make websites. You can learn how to make algorithms like what you y'all doing with that type of stuff. Like you can take that information and learn how to do all types of things. So right. really somebody, please listen to this man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you learn it. how to code, it opens so many different doors. Like I can't stress how important it is to do so. You know, there's so many resources out there. If people want any questions, they can reach out to me on Twitter. Like I'm constantly in my DMs, you know, answering questions that people send me or whatnot. But if anyone has any questions, feel free to hit me up. I'll share some resources. I'll share my experiences and whatnot. But now's the time to get in. Most definitely. So look, before we get up out of here, we'll uh, pivot to our last section, my brother. What's on your timeline? So I just want to ask you, what's on your timeline? Anything that you saw funny, serious, anything? What I saw on my timeline, I see a lot. But one that I saw today was you know, a man complaining about paying a date for a woman. And I know that that's a constant debate going on within mm. the Twitter sphere. And me personally, I think that if you invite someone out, I don't care if it's a romantic date or they're a friend or whatever, it, it's your duty to pay. That's just how I feel. I don't know how you guys feel, but that's my opinion. Hey, I agree with you. If I <laughs> ask you out, like, I'm going to pay. Like, I'm not going to just ask you to come with me and just be like, oh, I thought you was going to pay. No, like, I yeah. invited, I initiated this. Right, exactly right. That's but uh, I see that debate going on and uh, it seems like it's never ending. So Ellis. it is a never ending debate. I 100% yeah. agree with you. Ellis. <laughs> I agree. No, I agree. No, nah, I did. So just to mess with some of my like friends, I did ask them, I was like, okay, so women that I know, how many of y'all would actually ask a dude out on a date? And most of them was like, hell nah, like I'd rather eat my shoe first. And I was like, right. okay, so then <laughs> yeah. how you going to ever end up paying? <laughs> you ain't asking nobody on no dates. <laughs> right. But at the same time, the crazy thing is when women shoot their shot, like 99% of the time it hits. 
Oh, facts. <laughs> they don't miss. <laughs> they don't miss. So, <laughs> ladies, just heads up. Shoot your shot more often. Yeah. yeah. There we go. That's the moral of the message right there. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, appreciate you so much, my brother. Once again, just plug yourself in. Let them know where they can follow you, where they can find you. Get any type of information they need to. All your social medias, anything like that. But they sure. can get quick maps. Yep. So my name is uh, Sulu. Uh, it's at A-M-A-L-O-U-S underscore on Twitter. And then I'm also recently getting active on Instagram. That one's at Sulu, S-U-L-U underscore T-R-A-O-R-E. That, those what are really that? the only two social medias that I use. I try to stay away from Facebook and whatnot. Hey, smart man. <laughs> yeah. Most definitely, though. Um, and before we jump out of here, I just want to say thank you for coming to the show, my brother. Thank you for dropping this game. Thank you for just letting us know about what's going on in tech world. I just want to see keep on doing great things with what you're doing. I just want to get into some house cleaning. I just want to say thank you to all our followers coming in week in and week out. Like we said, we're trying our best to give you guys the best experience that you can. If our sound, if everything else sounds good, just let us know. Leave us a review. Share with your family and friends. We're constantly, constantly growing. So I just want to say thank you. We're getting past these 10,000 play episodes. So appreciate everybody. Jared, Kelly, what y'all got, my brothers? I just want to say thank you, Sue, for coming on. And I want to say, everybody, please download Quick Maths. It's a really, really fun game. And keep supporting. And if y'all want to get bust up, y'all DM me and I'll send y'all my number so we can run around. <laughs> I honestly wanted to say thank you for having me on here. This is actually my first podcast ever. So I was a little bit nervous, but, you know, I tried my best to spread as much information as I can. And hopefully someone out there listening will, you know, take that information and, you know, make the world a better place through tech. Amen. Once again, thank you, my brother. Uh, definitely won't be the last. We're going to have to get you back on here, man. But for everybody, this is Black Wealth Renaissance signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.